Our first reading tonight is Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3, which is on page 189 of the Church Bible. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, will you be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned to discover and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of, of your garment over me, since you are, my, are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed me earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you what all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, don't let it... Ne- Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. The second reading tonight is um, from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 to 79, and you'll find this on page 724 of your church Bibles. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation 
through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Mad, my welcome. It's great that you're able to be with us this evening. And there might be some sore people here from uh, the marathon this morning. Anyone um, managed to pull that off? Uh, we're a wiser bunch. That's great. Uh, Ruth 3 is where we're picking it up. If uh, you're new amongst us, we're halfway through the book of Ruth. Uh, a beautiful tale. I'm sure you'll pick it up quickly. Uh, was very encouraging as well as you're flicking your way back there on uh, page 189. was very encouraging, wasn't it, to hear those stories of iHeart Kirribilli. Um, even if you're not on a video clip, uh, don't feel that you can't share your good stories of iHeart with others. So take the opportunity to, to tell others of the good things that uh, you experienced that week and encourage others that way. Uh, but how about we pray that God might speak to us clearly. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for uh, your character of love and justice, of mercy and faithfulness. Uh, and Father, we thank you that your word reflects your character and what you are like. Uh, and as we spend time now looking at your word, help us to uh, see more clearly you uh, in it. And may you, by your spirit, write your word in our heart that we might treasure what it says and find the life in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the moment of temptation, where do you turn? Now, we, we all face temptation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That is, we all, without exception, we all face temptation. But it goes on, uh, God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That is, uh, when we cave into temptation, uh, we haven't got an excuse. God's always provided a way out. So in that moment of temptation, where do you turn? A friend shared uh, his challenge at work to act differently with me. Uh, those over him want deals sealed. They want results, uh, which means for him being a little more aggressive than is perhaps godly, uh, in him being a little less clear with the truth than is perhaps godly. Sometimes it, pressure is on him to downright stretch the bounds of integrity so that he might succeed and keep his bosses happy. Now, in that moment of temptation... Where do you turn? Do, do you cave instantly, you know, without even a thought? Do you, do you deliberate for a while, ponder things, toss it around, and then cave? Do you stand firm? A study spanning 40 years at Stanford University has shown the value of resisting temptation. They run the marshmallow test, uh, and they've been doing it for 40 years. They put a little marshmallow in front of a four-year-old and uh, encourage them that the longer they delay, there'll be a, another reward later on, a second marshmallow, and they can have both if they can hold on. And they've been doing this for 40 years, and they follow the lives of the kids who've done it, and they've found out that uh, those who do better in the marshmallow test actually have a greater chance of happiness and success in life generally. Now, it seems so obvious, of course. We go, yes, of course it's better to be able to resist, and yet often we don't, do we? As Benjamin Franklin helpfully said, what makes resisting temptation difficult for many people is that they don't want to discourage it completely. In that moment of temptation, where do you turn? 
So episode three of Ruth sees our couple who we've come to love uh, in a moment of temptation. You know, it's a place we've all been. But to get the point, we've, we've got to feel the story. It's a story meant to be felt. So at first glance, uh, Ruth 3 has all the hallmarks of chick lit classic. Okay, I feel legitimized by uh, Dave on the video before saying chick from church. So I feel I can say the word chick lit uh, more comfortably. Men, let me, uh, before you switch off, now that I've said that, uh, let me encourage you, if you actually want to understand and serve the women in your life, you need to understand the narratives that actually work for them. So listen in perhaps with more attentiveness. Uh, to give you a little background, of course, if you're not aware of Chick Lit, Chick Flicks, I did some research. I uncovered this. I didn't just spend all week watching those kind of movies. Um, I uncovered this. Uh, the female characters in a Chick Flick are usually strong women who overcome adversity to reach their goals. The key to a successful chick flick is a message of female empowerment, although a snappy soundtrack and closets full of designer clothes will also help boost ratings. Now, we don't have a snappy soundtrack, but Ruth 3 does have these strong women overcoming adversity, reaching their goals. Now, our first strong woman is Naomi. So in episode 2, Naomi's actually been released from her bitterness, and she's in the mood to initiate some action. Verse 1, one day Naomi... Her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for? So in chapter 1, it was Elimelech who initiated action. In chapter 2, it was Ruth. But, but now Naomi is, is seeking more literally rest for Naomi. Uh, she's discovered that the kindly Boaz, who just happens to be in this key position, that he might be their redeemer. Uh, and, and he's perfectly poised to marry. You know, he's got the wealth to purchase the estate, which was expected to, to carry on another man's line and give them both rest. You know, her, her action will leave Boaz by, verse 18, unable to rest until the matter is settled. And like a, a chick-lit classic, uh, there's another strong woman. There's Ruth. Uh, she models perfect friendship to her mother-in-law. So in, in verse 5 and 6, she obeys Naomi without questioning. But in verse 9, she actually displays her own strength. She, she departs from the script Naomi had given her. So Naomi told her, you know, make yourself alluring. You know, verse 3 gives us those designer clothes that Chicklet needs. Uh, and then off you go, says Naomi, go to where Boaz sleeps. And in verse 4, instructions are, wait for him to tell you what to do. But Ruth doesn't. In verse 9, uh, she feels empowered to say to him, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer. That is, she is making a request for marriage. Uh, you know, permanent protection is the symbolism there. You know, literally, it means spread your wing over me. You see, Boaz had prayed in, in 2 verse 12 that, that the Lord, that Yahweh, would bless her for sheltering under his wings. And, and Ruth actually sets him up to answer his own prayer by spreading his garment, his wing of protection over her, marrying her. You know, strong, empowered women, overcoming adversity, reaching their goals, uh, and with perfume and some designer clothes thrown in. You know, and then you add to that a shroud of mystery and intrigue. Like in chapter 2, uh, episode 2, this, this, this episode, this chapter is structured by the conversations. So Naomi and Ruth's conversations with each other uh, bookend the key interaction, the middle one between Ruth and, Moa, and Boaz in, in 8 to 15. 
And in that conversation, we see the two of them and they are utterly alone in the cover of darkness, talking in the shadows. And the narrator wants to make it a little more mysterious, so he makes it more impersonal. In verse 8, the titles the man and the woman are used instead of their names. It does it again in verse 14 and verse 18. He wants to keep them incognito. He wants to add an air of mystery to them. Even God seems to fade in the backdrop here. Now, gone are, uh, are any expansive uh, descriptions of God, gone are the, the invocations of God's name that were happening in previous chapters. Instead, you know, mentions of, of, of the Lord are brief and they're infrequent. You get one in verse 10 and again in verse 13. It's a, it's a story that's written to, to draw us in that there's a shroud of excitement covering it. You know, fulfillment is within their grasp. Rest uh, and fullness are there for these strong, empowered women to just grab. And even Boaz, a, a, an older, wealthy man, has the chance to have his lack met. And within this, the, the shadowy realm, there's a certain moral ambiguity that's meant to hang in that story. See, they are there in the moment of temptation. Will they act according to the ideal of loyalty and kindness that, that have dominated the book? Will they, will they act appropriately or will they grab what they long for? Because it's now there in their grasp. See, they are in a moment of temptation. It's, it's their way or God's. In the previous episode, you might remember, it was out in, the, out in public. It was in the pure light of day. It was in the fields. Everyone could see it. But this episode is under the cover of dark. It's at night. It's harvest time, which implies fertility. Uh, and in, in Israelite popular culture, the threshing floor was a bit of a, a euphemism for a place of licentiousness, uh, like a roll in the hay, if I can use that kind of unhelpful uh, expression. You know, Ruth goes to the fl- threshing floor and she is prepared and she is looking beautiful and she is bathed and she is perfumed and she goes uh, under Naomi's instructions to reveal herself secretly. You know, and there's, there's ambiguities, there's, there's a, a kind of sexual innuendo that runs there. Now, don't get me wrong, nothing actually happens, but it's, it's suggestive. Uh, so the language for uncovering is normally used in the Bible for, for uh, uh, a sexual context. A context. Uh, even feet can be used in Scripture as a euphemism for genitals. Okay, again, I want to be clear. Nothing actually happens here, but the writer wants us to see that Naomi is taking a gamble on Boaz's integrity in temptation. He's not going to take advantage of her. And as readers, we're meant to be drawn in. What's going to happen in this moment of temptation? You know, uh, Ruth asks for marriage. Boaz is thrilled. You know, she's been really quite kind to him in verse 10. She doesn't chase after the young choice lads, the strapping young fellows. You know, he knows that no, she's a woman of good character. Now, he is committed to redeeming her, to making her his wife. But there's another problem, another man. Verse 12, although it's true, says Boaz, I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Now we're going to see how the story resolves next week. This is, makes you come back to cliffhanger ending. Uh, and we're going to pick up that thread of redemption that's hinted at uh, in our Luke reading. But this episode, 
It's two people on the edge of getting what they dream for and desire. And they're tempted to do whatever it takes to achieve that. You know, it's dark, we all know. We've been so tempting, wouldn't it, just to cave in, give in to temptation. It would have been so tempting to, to kind of break the rules, circumvent the rules, get secretly engaged, illegally gazump this other man, the Redeemer, with a prior claim. You know, just like Jesus in the wilderness when uh, the devil offered him the world that he'd come to die for by simply just change allegiance and you can have it. You know, when Jesus was in the garden uh, sweating, uh, sweating drops like blood, uh, desperately wanting to avoid the cup of his father's wrath, which we, we deserve. You know, like the pressure that perhaps we feel to satisfy the boss, to seal the deal, take the easy option of a few you know, well-said mistruths. It's that moment of temptation. And had they been modern Australians, uh, had they been characters in a modern you know, chick lit, they would have. Uh, in French schools, they teach philosophy. Uh, they encourage people to, to grow up considering why they think what they think. Uh, we Australians are far more pragmatic than that. Uh, the most popular HSC uh, subjects chosen, you know, maths is compulsory, English is compulsory, business studies. Most popular subjects chosen, taken up by... Because we want to succeed. We don't want to consider why. You know, in modern chick lit, it's, it's the end that justifies the means. And that thinking dominates. Uh, there's a, a book, C. Jane Wright. It's a, it's a how-to manual for writing chick lit. Uh, and the authors argue there that it's not about... Chick lit's not about designer labels. Uh, that's, that's Vogue magazine. It's not about even getting Mr. Wright uh, to quote them. So if it's not about shoes and guys, then what exactly is it? It's about women growing up and figuring out who they are and what they need versus what they think they want. It's about clear desires and achieving them. And Ruth and Boaz are there, and it's within their grasp to get what they desire. And a modern Australian thinker would say, just take it. And chiclet authors would say, just take it. And perhaps it's the case that you and I have been affected by that way of thinking. You know, perhaps we've been drawn into the story you know, so much that you long for Ruth and Boaz to get together, uh, to get their personal satisfaction, that, that you'd rather see their morality waver a little and, and give in to the moment. You know, perhaps the, the worst possible ending for, for you to, to the book of Ruth would be that the, the characters don't get personally fulfilled. You know, perhaps that's the fate you personally fear most, that your dreams won't be fulfilled. Because Ruth taps into the lie that was first sold to Eve. Yeah? That you need to take control of the situation, you need to grasp your heart's desire, even if it means casting God aside. You know, Ruth taps into the, the kind of lies sold to men and women all the time. Now, in light of Ruth 3, I, I want to flesh some implications out, uh, some issues or, or perhaps lies sold uh, particularly to women. Uh, men, this is your opportunity to kind of grunt it into your own comprehension, uh, translate it to your situation. Uh, but given Ruth is so focused on these uh, wonderful uh, women, it's right that we focus there. So it's right that marriage is good, but it's not always as good as singleness. Single women are sold a lie that marriage is the ultimate good. Uh, and Christian singles are tempted to forget that Earthly marriage is passing and that heavenly marriage to Christ is the ultimate good. You know, and, and 
they are tempted to be utilitarian and to marry non-Christians or marry men who won't lead them well spiritually in fear that the dreams won't be fulfilled. You know, parents who, who long to be grandparents pass on that same fear, you know, training their children to settle for, for substandard married life rather than godly singleness. You know, and, and married women face the pressure uh, when they're in unsatisfying married life to, to chase after the elusive perfect guy instead of persevering with the faulted bloke you're bound to. Or to assert your ambitions irrelevant of the cost to your husband. Now, and chick lit glamorizes that choice of strong women overcoming obstacles, even if the obstacle is your husband. Now, there's a certain era of feminism that peddled the belief that women could have it all and have it all at once. You know, this is despite, you know, very obviously men never managed to achieve it. Younger feminists, there's a new wave of feminism around, they, they kind of question that elusive hope, but it still permeates women's thinking you know, that you have to fulfil all your desires. Even Christian women feel that, uh, you know, the, the pressure to be the superwoman of Proverbs 31, if you don't know her, you can read her later, you know, the pressure to be her all at once rather than perhaps over seasons, uh, forgetting that really... It, you know, Proverbs 31 is really a metaphor about the, the joy of discovering wisdom. We, we aren't immune to thinking that denying desire is the worst thing that could actually happen to us. Now, certainly, as I observe kind of modern parenting, you know, that's the major principle run there. You know, parents uh, are there to satisfy their child's every ambition. And I want to say the pressure of chiclet, the pressure of this world, the lie that was sold to Eve and Ruth is, you know, it's a burdensome lie and a burdensome temptation that Ruth is tapping into. And in the moment of temptation, where do they turn? Well, they turn to the goodness of God. So we, through, we see through them, through Ruth and Boaz, the importance of, of both patience and trusting God's ways. So stories have this Incredible power, don't they, to draw us in and, and to reshape our thinking. Um, I've seen romantic comedies uh, that have me so sucked in that, you know, that I've wanted a couple to get together even though it would be immoral. But I've kind of bought into the story. Um, I remember watching Silence of the Lambs. If you've never seen it, it's a little bit scary. Um, and I was there, I was on the edge of my seat. There's that bit where, you know, it's got the, ex the glasses seen through the dark. And he's trying to track her down. If you don't know this story, I'm really sorry. But, you know, I'm just there itching, you know, screaming at Clarice. You know, turn around, he's behind, blow him away is the kind of, I'm in there. Stories are powerful. And, and so much of the Bible's teaching is about the godly life. It's not merely in commands uh, and imperatives, but it's in the richness of narrative. You know, Ruth 3 uh, draws us into a moment tantalizingly close to having desire fulfilled. It feels chiclet. But ultimately, it subverts the genre because it says there is something more important than you getting what you desire. What is it? It's trusting God's good ways. Now, Ruth leaves in the morning. Nothing's happened. Boaz sends her away in verse 15 with barley, uh, in part as generosity, in part probably to give a reason if anyone stops her as to why she was at the threshing floor. You know, and then he goes about, yes, seeking his desires, but only under God's legal guidance risking the fact that he might miss out. 
See, ultimately, Ruth and Boaz resist temptation because they are confident that God is good. Now, even we Christians are tempted to think that uh, God's laws are a bit of a wet blanket. You know, that uh, morality, that's the kind of bad news that comes after you've got the good news of being saved by faith. And we're tempted to think that God's advice is life without fun rather than life to the full. But that's not how the law is presented in Ruth. Throughout the book, God's law is not restrictive. It's actually an opportunity to express goodness and loving kindness. Uh, Ruth is always about the spirit of the law. So we saw it last week. You remember uh, the, the laws about leaving leftovers for the poor were really an opportunity to, to lavishly welcome outsiders and treat them with the care that so often we would hope for us if we were in that situation. And God's laws are, are meant to be a springboard that we leap off into a loving kindness. Yeah, there was a law, yes, about uh, against welcoming Moabites. You know, there was a law that said Ruth really should be excluded, but it's viewed in light of the fact that she is a needy widow and an alien desiring to seek refuge in the law. You know, the lesser law is overcome by the greater law, the greater principle, expressing kindness. Inclusion is better than exclusion. You know, life is always more complex than law can actually handle. And Boaz models, uh, I suppose, uh, being a great lawkeeper because he gets the spirit of it right and the goodness of it. That's how Jesus approached the law. You know, he constantly healed on the Sabbath uh, because the law is about doing good. As Paul says in Galatians 5.14, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. You know, James wrote about the perfect law that gives freedom. You know, freedom that is to care for orphans and widows. Uh, keep yourself polluted from, the world, from being polluted by the world. You know, God's law is so good. It's an opportunity to do more good. You know, that's the overwhelming impression of law in this book. It, and that's what shakes Boaz and Ruth when they're in the moment of temptation. What's it mean for us? Three, I suppose, flow-ons for us. Prepare for that moment of temptation. First, make sure we foster a, a confidence in the goodness of God. Ruth and Boaz resist temptation in the moment because of what they already knew about God's goodness. You know, for us, it's the time spent studying the word and speaking to each other about God's goodness that will equip us for the moment of temptation. It's too late for swimming lessons when you're caught in a rip. We need to foster the, uh, you know, that kind of confidence in the easy times, not the hard times. Uh, for my connect group, sometimes we, uh, we begin by sharing how God has been good to us in recent times. You know, talk about the signs of grace we've seen. You know, and that, and reading the Bible together, that establishes our protection for when temptation comes. Uh, secondly, we need to grow in patience. We need to grow in patience. Uh, the key to growing in patience, let me warn you, it's not saying, God, make me patient and you better do it fast. You know, that, that kind of undermines... You know, personally, I struggle with patience. The way I expect to grow in patience, though, is by continually taking the long view rather than the short view. Yeah, seeing what is actually more important rather than the lesser. You know, reminding myself in times of conflicting desires what the better outcome is. So in traffic, I need to remember that you know, no accidents is a better outcome than me getting a personal best on my way home. Angus knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. 
Remembering the greater good is how, it's how Jesus was able to patiently endure suffering from sinful men in Hebrews 12. You know, because what was he doing? He was authoring salvation. He was writing it, inventing it. Now, remembering the greater good is, is how God is able to be patient in resisting returning swiftly in 2 Peter 3, that more might come to repentance. You know, patience grows as you are more and more persuaded of the goodness of a greater goal. You know, Ruth and Boaz know the greater goodness of God's ways. So rather than grasp what they desire, they patiently trust. Rather than doing the unkind thing of abusing sex outside of marriage or, or the unkind deed of denying another person's right to marriage, they patiently trust. And we must grow in our patience, reminding ourselves what is really important. And thirdly, we need to, to trust God's goodness entirely and always. So if you can't taste and see the goodness of God at the moment, you're going to find it very hard in the moment of temptation to patiently trust. But ironically, if you can't taste and see his goodness, it might be because you aren't doing what the psalmist recommends and taking refuge in him. So Psalm 34 talks about those who taste and see the goodness of the Lord are those who have already got refuge permanently, ongoingly, gone to refuge in God. You know, it's only those who live under the shelter of his wings and garment that taste his goodness. You know, if you can't taste his goodness and the goodness of his ways, is it because perhaps you aren't trusting him patiently in everything, but because you're actually doing things your own way? You know, the decision Ruth made to follow uh, Naomi's God was not a one-off in chapter 1. It was an ongoing, every-moment act. It's the same for us. Following after Christ is not going to be a moment of time you look back to. I think we get confused by asking each other, oh, so when did you start following Jesus? I mean, it's a lovely question, but it's actually fairly irrelevant. Uh, well, the question that really matters is, how are you following him now? You know, in this moment, in the thousands of moments each day, in those moments of temptation, choosing to patiently trust, you need to trust his goodness entirely, always in everything. And then and only then will you find the rest for the weary that he offers. What makes resisting temptation difficult for many people is they don't want to discourage it completely. Is that us? In the moment of temptation, where will you turn? May it be in the protection of our Lord's wings and his goodness. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. Father, we thank you that uh, you give us what we need, that we might become more and more like Christ. And we pray that you enable us to trust you always, that in those moments of temptation where uh, what we desire is within our grasp, if we just did things our own way, give us the ability to be patient, enable us to see your goodness and help us to trust you always and live under the protection of your shadow and wings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.